The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 14th chapter. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat, by this time, was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the Gospel of the Lord. In the holy name of Jesus. Amen. The previous day, the water had been like glass. The canoes cut right through it like hot knives going through butter. But that morning, we woke up to the sound of wind. White-capped water churned between us and our destination. Taking waves head-on, our vessels were like seesaws. The man in the back would watch his partner crest above him and then dip down below his knees. That was a long day in the Boundary Waters. Now, if you take away the light of day, substitute a bigger boat, and factor in the experience of men who spent their life on the sea, then you have something of a picture of the disciples' stormy nighttime crossing of the Sea of Galilee. To see that account for what it is, we must also distinguish it from what it is not. This is not the account of Jesus stilling the storm. That's in Matthew 8. There Jesus was with his disciples in the boat. It was being swamped by waves, and they thought they were going to sink. This time Jesus is not in the boat. And though they're fighting a headwind with waves buffeting their vessel, the disciples are making headway. 
They've knocked out several miles on a medium-sized lake. Not the night they would have chosen, but they're big boys, and this isn't their first rodeo. They're managing. There's no mention of fear, at least not prior to someone joining them on the lake. Now, in the biblical tradition, from Genesis all the way forward, the sea, the, the waters, as Matthew describes them here, stand for chaos. They represent an expansive, unbridled kind of power that is potentially destructive to human life. And deep down, all of us know about that, about chaos. It's not actually the stuff of the safely over-busy end of summer that we might describe as chaotic. Chaos is why we have building codes, fire alarms, tornado drills, education systems. Chaos is what results if people stop doing their jobs or society ceases to operate by laws. Chaos is what crops up when power is not checked, when systems break down, when war breaks out. So if you wake up on time, try to do your job, play by right rules, and think others should too, you're there. You're there in our shared human effort to manage and mitigate chaos that might otherwise destroy us. The disciples had a reliable boat, shared knowledge, experience. They were working together. They were managing. There was no other way to be on the sea, except there was. Someone was walking on it, and that's what unnerves them. Now, Jesus' interaction with the churning sea begins well before his disciples perceive him there. He has set up this encounter. He sets it up by sending them off to the other side. But more than just issuing orders, Jesus prays. He is alone conversing with his father for hours. Why does he pray? What's that conversation about? Is Jesus praying for his disciples? Does he pray up the storm? The symbolism is rich. The guy on the mountain is uniquely with God and he does not shun association with men threatened by the forces of chaos. Instead, he enters into the chaos to reveal himself as the Son of God. If we think about it, that is a very proper image of Jesus and the church as things now stand. The Son is ascended with the Father, interceding for his little ark, the church, 
as it attempts to navigate the chaos, such that he's not contained within the church, but watches over it and comes to it. But symbolism aside, notice this. What happens on the mountain continues on the sea. It's prayer from another angle. Jesus comes and makes his presence known amidst human effort to manage and mitigate chaos. The fact that he's there in the mundane but very serious struggle in a way that can't be accounted for is unnerving. But it's me, he says. And Peter's reply, and ours, is something like, really? Well, let's just see about that. How about I do what you do? If it's you who's coming to me, how about I come to you? Okay, he says. Come on, then. That does not look very sensible, but it is a basic pattern of prayer. Prayer is conversation that is initiated by Jesus, who converses with God the Father. In prayer, Jesus comes to us in an initially unnerving way that invites us to come yet closer to him. Now, there is nothing safe about conversing with Jesus. He does not conform to our necessary efforts to keep plugging away, managing to mitigate the chaos. He invites us to something more, and his invitation is not a sham. Notice that Peter does do what Jesus did. Jesus walked on water. He came to Peter. Peter walks on water. He comes to Jesus. And at Jesus' side, the wind and the waters are different. Peter is no longer in his responsibly maintained arena. He has broken ranks. And following Jesus' invitation, he sees things from Jesus' perspective. Peter took Jesus' invitation. Peter has followed Jesus. Peter gets to see things from Jesus' angle. And Peter is not Jesus. Peter sinks. And as he does, he acknowledges Jesus as unique. Lord, save me. And Jesus does what only Jesus can do. He saves Peter. This is like the relationship of prayer and worship. Prayer unfolds into worship as happens back then in the boat. You see, there is an awestruck recognition that behind this human hand 
is someone very different than us, whom we aren't finally able to follow, whose perspective we can't fully bear, at least not yet, someone who is not safe, but someone who is utterly merciful and someone whose goodness is not limited by our doubt or by the smallness of our faith. This is the first time that Jesus' disciples worship him. How will his disciples worship him when they see that his goodness and mercy will also entail his own submersion into chaos, his own death, his destruction? Well, friends, the answer to that question is two millennia in the making, and it continues with us this morning. He who stands above us has, in fact, gone below us. And he has done this because he is able and he is willing to save. This is the Jesus whom we worship. In the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.